And welcome in to a day early. It's the Thursday edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast. We're bumping up a day because last night, the South Carolina Senate voted on the second reading of S-150. And it will now move to the House of Representatives Alongside that, we've got some major national news. $30 million of grant money. We'll explain where it's going and why that matters to you. Mitch Prosser, Dave Wilson here with me. I'm Justin Hall. And Dave, I'll start with you. Uh, We're in studio. You're not. So we'll give you the first word on S-150 heading to the House. One of the things that this did, and you have to look at this particular bill from the standpoint of it was set into the Senate's calendar in what's called special order. I mean, I imagine it's kind of like you've, you've opened up all the chutes, but you've closed all the exit lanes. And so anything that was done on this bill, it was going to come to a vote one way or another. And so that's what setting for special order does. It guarantees a vote on the bill. And so in that part of the process, what ended up happening was senators made some very significant changes to the bill that actually put some very conservative restrictions on there. You know, there have been a lot of folks who have been, we need to completely eliminate this, not have anything at all. We've had others who've been able to say, well, don't we have existing laws in place? Do they work? Do they not? What changes need to be made there? In reality, what ended up happening with this was the law, excuse me, the bill that was passed last night restricts the prescribing of medical cannabis to a physician who is required to provide authorization, and they can only be filled by a board-certified pharmacist. They put that pharmacist part in the middle as a check and balance against the regular, what we have known and talked about as the medical cannabis system. Uh, They've authorized the Board of Pharmacy to begin to promulgate regulations. But here was the important part. It stopped a major aspect of the agricultural side of this. Keep in mind, marijuana cannot legally cross state lines. That is interstate commerce, but it can be moved around intrastate, which was within the state. There was a possibility of having 15 licenses with thousands of acres per license. They have limited all of that now to 15 licenses with a total of two acres per grower, and it has to be in an enclosed greenhouse facility. That right there means out of all of the acreage in South Carolina that could have been farmed for marijuana, they are only allowing 30 acres of growth in the entire state. That probably in and of itself right there was was one of the biggest hurdles that keeps us from moving into an industrial marijuana complex. Between that and the fact they put limitations on uh, how the the drugs can be distributed, it sunsets the bill within six years. And, and make some other major concessions, is it a perfect bill? Well, for some people, yes. For some people, no. And so where this takes us now is the bill now goes over to the House of Representatives. And that's part of the, the civics lessons we're going to talk about real quick. Because when it moves over to the House of Representatives, it becomes their responsibility to go through their process of review, their process of committee, and then whether or not it's going to go onto the floor. There's a good chance that this will be going through the 3M committee, that is uh, Municipal, Medical, and Military Committee of the House. From what we're hearing this afternoon, that means that it will possibly be moving through and going onto the floor 
for a discussion and possibly a vote. How quickly that goes, we don't know yet. What's included in amendments, we don't know yet. But that's part of why you're listening to this podcast, to find out the information as it's coming out and, and really getting into the details that you need so that you can better talk about and understand where this issue is coming from. And, and the big issue in this, Dave, is that there's been a lot of focus on the Senate. There's been a lot of focus on the special order and, and the debate there. But when it comes to this moving over to the House, you, you mentioned it. The process starts over again in some respects for this bill. They can add amendments. They can take time to deliberate over the bill. And then, Mitch, a good point here that even, even when it gets to the floor of the House, should it pass in the House, then it's left to the governor to make the decision. So certainly passing in the Senate is one thing, but this bill has a long way to go. It's like, Dave, I'm sure you've shown this to your classes before, the old school of rock, or the old schoolhouse rock video. Oh, yeah. I'm just a bill. I'm just a bill at at its core right here, understanding this is part of the process. Uh, of how a bill becomes a law. You can, it doesn't just happen in one chamber. It happens in both. I'm sorry. I'm cracking up. And we can leave this in. I think it's okay because that's what we do here. We just kind of humor each other sometimes. When you said School of Rock, all I could see was Jack Black. Yeah, I went to Jack Black playing a, <laughs> playing guitar, a guitar, not to a bill sitting on Capitol Hill. Uh, well, and, and part of as we you, got, you also keep in mind, folks, that I'm also remotely into this. Right. And I'm not in the studio. They're, they're, they're turning the camera of the computer back and forth. This is the fun part. Of it. Right. So, Welcome to technology. Well, and, and part of this, too, as we talk about this kind of – it's heavy. This is weighty stuff. And we that's not lost on us um, as, as we fight. We're continuing to fight for this. There are some of you out there right now who are probably wondering as we talk about this – are are you satisfied? Are are what are y'all going to do? So, Davis, we've talked about this over and over again. Tell the listeners the three things that we've kind of talked about in regards to the formulaic understanding of how this needs to happen. It needs to be regulated by the FDA, prescribed by a doctor, and distributed by a pharmacist. As it stands right now, the FDA is not giving that approval, but they are putting a government regulatory body over this in the state of South Carolina. That would be the Board of Pharmacy. DHEC would also have their oversight on top of this. It has to be prescribed by a doctor. It has to be distributed by a pharmacist. Does this mean we're wholeheartedly in favor of this bill? It means this. Those criteria have been met, and we have really cut off a major part of the seed-to-sale aspect of this, which is limiting the number of acres and the number of licenses to only give us 30 acres of greenhouse-covered fields from which to grow marijuana for medical purposes. I have gone so far as to say I think that this is actually a place where our teaching research universities should be a part of this. Yep. I think the agriculture departments at Clemson and SE State should be a part of this to be able to study what are the best places, where are the best places to be able to to grow this for its medical uses. Working with our medical schools, let's find those ways where these drugs coming from cannabis plants, coming from the marijuana plants can be used effectively and safely and be able to develop new medicines. That not only puts us in an agricultural 
foothold, but it also puts us at the front of the line in developing new medications. That is a great thing for the state of South Carolina. Absolutely. That's not the direction this is going right now, but that is a direction that we could be going. One more item that we have to think about in this and the way this bill is currently written is that you have local municipalities have the ability to opt out on this at some level. That's a big deal. When you think about Colorado, of all the counties in Colorado, I think there's 65 counties, only 18 allow for the sale of marijuana. That is a place where we have to, to recognize a level of local control. And that is an important aspect when you think about any piece of legislation is if you're going to have something like this going on and you say, hey, listen, I don't want that in my county. I don't want that in my community. Local communities have an ability to stand up and say, not in my backyard. Right. And that's just, just three weeks ago. Those were several of the things that we were talking about. We were concerned about municipalities not being able to opt out. We were concerned about the seed to sale aspect. As one lady in you know lo- local um, civic engagement told me, 98% of this bill is seed to sale. Now, whether she was right or wrong, these are the kinds of things that we were talking about just a few weeks ago. Many of these questions have been answered. And it's important for us to understand that as this bill moves forward into the House. Well, while these questions have been answered, certainly the proponents and the opponents of S-150 understood that this bill kind of sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the room. And Dave, as you mentioned, it had special order and nothing could get done until this got done. It had to get done. But now the gates are open and there are some avenues for some other things to get accomplished inside the General Assembly, not including but not limited to opportunities in education, transparency in education, tax reform, and election reform. And the House, Dave, it, it hit the news on Tuesday. Now, it's been overshadowed by Wednesday night's vote in the Senate. But on Tuesday, the House passed an amendment to a bill that originated in the House. Uh, Representative Newton took the well to explain the amendment, and this amendment bans the use of ballot drop boxes, a few other things, enhances some some auditing processes and elections. And and so, Dave, kind of walk folks through the understanding of this, because this bill originated in the House, then it went to the Senate. So kind of walk folks through the process of this bill right now so we can get a better understanding. Take us to civics class once again. The election integrity uh, bill, Bill 3444. So if you're looking on things, you can download the Palmetto Family app. You can go to inside the state house. You can put in the bill number 3444, and it will allow you to actually read the entire bill. What it actually does is it puts county election commissions under state control and responsibility. Uh, as, as Justin did say, it prohibits things like drop boxes, uh, third parties being able to pay money to local county commissions to be able to do some special work. We saw some of that coming in where there there were companies and groups coming in saying, well, we'll help you with your election process. I really don't want somebody's outside Mm. money coming in trying to run my local elections in my county. But as that moved through the House and went to the Senate, the Senate uh, really fast-tracked the bill last May, made an amendment to it, and sent it back over to the House on one of the last days of the legislative session. The House has now taken that back up. They're tweaking it a little bit. And we're at a point right now where it's going to go back to the Senate to either concur or not concur. And if that happens, if they do concur, then we've got some really good boundaries that are now going to be set around our elections to ensure election integrity. That is a huge thing, guys, as we've been crisscrossing the state that Mm -hmm. we've been hearing. And I think, Mitch, as you've been 
you know, talking with different groups across the state. Those are things that they're bringing up as concerns that they have. Well, there's no doubt about it. And election integrity seems to find its way into several issues, whether it's border security, whether it's uh, rights, uh, individual freedoms and rights. A lot of people are saying that so much of what we're talking about right now in education opportunity or even things like medicinal use of marijuana, all of those things are really tangential and of little consequence if we can't get our elections right. Because one of the fundamental freedoms of the foundation of our country was the ability to hold free and fair elections. Those elections uh, have been very well taken care of for uh, let's say a really long time, as we learned from David Barton, our country has been so blessed by so many things uh, that the founders set up, and our Constitution has been a, a strong, strong document. It's the longest and strongest document governing uh, a republic ever to last. And so as we look at those things, I think it's extremely important for those listening right now, and even us, as we talk about this, to remember, we've got to get elections right. They have to be right. And we've got to make sure that the people that are supposed to vote get to vote and no one else, no one else. Dead people in Chicago shouldn't be able to vote. And 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 I guess I'm going to say something that might be mildly controversial for some of you. If you're not a citizen of this country, and if you're not 18 years old, you shouldn't have the right to vote. You need to be a you need to be a citizen. You need to be eighteen, and and we could talk about voter ID and all those things. We've got to get our elections right, and I'm glad, so glad that the South Carolina State Legislature has taken this up. I think that is an important aspect for us to always remember that the election process is so vitally important. I mean, guys, as we've been talking with folks. As we've been, I mean, we've had, what, 50, 60, 70, 80 meetings now across the state in the last, just since since June of last year, we've been in 80 different, 90 different locations. As we think about that, as, as you folks have come up and talked to us at different meetings that we've had or events that we've been at, we keep hearing over and over again, we've got to protect our elections. We've got to protect our elections. We are totally in agreement. And I think this bill goes a long way in being able to do that. So expect to see some movement on this, especially with medical marijuana out of the way for the moment in the Senate. They're going to get it back if they vote to uh, to concur with the changes that the House has made and be able to move that forward. It goes to Governor Henry McMaster's desk, and I am certain that that is something that he is going to be putting his signature on very quickly. Absolutely. Now let's transition. If you're new to our Friday edition, typically – this late week edition is the one where we talk about a national news topic. Now, we had planned to do that from the very start of the show. However, with the passage of S-150 out of the Senate last night, we decided to hold off on that. But we will wrap the show with that. And it's an interesting thing, guys, because, you know, I, I read the, the, the current administration's goals of equity and equality, and we've talked about that on the podcast uh, by the way, we're over 5,000 listens on our podcast now, so thank, thank you. you guys for your support. Thank we, you all so much. We talked about that in the first three episodes. You can go back and listen to those. Uh, we talked about that with Pastor Tony Foster as well, still our most listened to episode. Um, now, really quickly, I don't mean to be tongue-in-cheek. These guys chuckle because they know I mean to be tongue-in-cheek. Um, I am stunned that in the name of racial equity— the administration has decided to, under the advisement of the Health and Human Services Department, decided to issue a $30 million grant to help curb drug use 
that's wonderful, guys. I love that. The only problem is in the grant, they're handing out safe smoking kits, huh. uh, in, in, including including crack pipes. Now, help me, because I just need to understand how giving people free crack pipes is going to limit drug use in the country. I await your answers. Hearing none. <laughs> so what do we do? What are we doing? What are we doing? Honestly, seriously. Why are there's so much going on? Uh, store shelves are still bare. Gas prices in my neck of the woods, gas went up 20 cents a gallon in a day. There's no food on the shelves. You can't find some things. We've got Russia on the border of Ukraine. We've got the Chinese starving people in the Olympics. But hey, Let's give people free drug paraphernalia in an effort to stop them from doing this. And I want to go uh, really quickly to the Washington Free Beacon. Let's see if I can find this. Yeah, they said that the kits aim to reduce the risk of infection when smoking substances with glass pipes, which can lead to infections through cuts and sores. Applicants for the grants are prioritized if they treat a majority of underserved communities. That includes African-Americans and LGBTQ plus persons as established under President Joe Biden's executive order on advancing racial equity. Now, really quickly, and again, just bear with me here. In the name of racial equity, we are prioritizing giving the crack pipes and the smoking kits to African-Americans. Help me. How is that not weird to anyone else? Well, I have a slightly different take on this we've tried a lot of different government programs over time and and i'm just going to shoot straight we had safe needle exchanges didn't did that work. work didn't work okay um the government and the health department took condoms and birth yeah. control into school didn't did work. that work did not work no uh, anytime the government puts its hands on anything it doesn't work it tends not to work <laughs> it just never works. here's the deal if we want to curb the drug problem that we're having in America or an equity problem or whatever you want to call the problem, then the church has to step up. Christians have to get involved. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. The government will never be the solution. Now, that is not to say that we abandon the government. No, Christians no. ought to still speak to the government. We right. ought to still be involved in government, and Christians should run for office. However, the government will never be the solution. The solution, I'm going to get all preachy for just a second, hang on, is a relationship with Jesus Christ and doing something about that relationship. Now, here's the big issue, because I agree with you. I think people who are, these people who are in need of a lifeline need a lifeline, they don't need something That's that right. causes them to go deeper into the problem that is causing them to need a lifeline. Now, once this comes out, Dave, when Dave, when something is done by a, a an administration that is not on the conservative side, what tends to be the response to the conservative side when the conservative side points out the problem? Spin. It's that the conservatives are pouncing, right? You don't care about these people and their issues. Right, right. It always gets thrown back into that that area. And I think the greatest concern that I see in this is all we're doing is making it more feasible for people to continue 
drug use. Yes. Yes. Now, their argument is, well, we're giving them clean pipes so they're not sharing pipes with each other Mm -hmm. and they're not passing oral diseases. Like COVID. (laughs) Prevention. This this isn't even intervention. It's certainly not prevention. It is actually a kind of new convention of coming up with ways to get people to, to build out their their arsenal of things to be able to use for drug use. This is the problem. The problem is this. It is not just the drug use. It is the underlying issues that people are not facing or addressing or dealing with for which they are turning to drugs in the first place. It is a spiritual condition that is being masked as a drug condition. And now what are we doing it with it? We're putting you know, we're putting glass pipe band-aids on top of it, hoping that will stop the hemorrhage that we're seeing. Hey, Dave, it's my favorite season of the year. You know what season it is? It's Girl Scout cookie season. Can you imagine the Girl Scouts taking a bunch of cookies to a Weight Watcher convention? We're here to help. No, you're only hurting. And that's exactly what this is. We're here to help. I love, here- the, I love the Samoas, though. Yeah, oh, yeah, don't even get me started. We're here to give you help. No, right. you're actually only exacerbating the issue. You're making it worse in the name of some sort of social equity. Shame. Shame on you for doing so. Now, there was a statement put out by uh, Javier Becerra. Uh, it said, today on the heels of organizations applying for grant money for harm reduction efforts, uh, Becerra and the Office of National Drug Control Policy Director Rahul Gupta, I hope I said his name right, released the following statement, quote, HHS and ONDCP are focused on using our resources smartly to reduce harm and save lives. Accordingly, no federal funding will be used directly or through subsequent reimbursement of grantees to put pipes in safe smoking kits. The goal of harm reduction is to save lives. The administration is focused on a comprehensive strategy to stop the spread of drugs and curb addiction, including prioritizing the use of proven harm reduction strategies like providing naloxone, fentanyl test strips, and clean syringes as well as taking decisive action to go after violent criminals who are trafficking illicit drugs like fentanyl across across our borders and into our communities. We will continue working to address the addiction and overdose epidemic and ensure that our resources are used in the smartest and most efficient manner. Now, again, I want you guys to just think for a second of where we are in, in our country. We just had a 12-month span of 100,000 overdose deaths. 100,000. And the administration is willing to grant money for these things. Like, what are we? What are we doing? Like, this just doesn't seem like a smart use of our time. I, I love the line in here about uh, fentanyl test strips. Hey, before you do the crack, <laughs> test it to see if there's fentanyl in it. I mean, that's better than well. We know the dangers of fentanyl. I, I, the problem. Uh, my favorite line is. <laughs> stopping violent criminals who are tra- trafficking drugs across the border. Oh, this yeah, is okay. perfect for that. Yeah, wow. we're doing a great there job there. There are many there. other solutions that we need to be looking at. Oh, yes. I don't know, like securing the border? Yeah, bingo. That, that could help. Important thing to be able to do. Here, here's why I bring this up. And, you, and, and, and maybe you're thinking, you know, you're just trying to take pot shots. No, what I'm telling you is these things are already happening in San Francisco and in Seattle and in other places across the country. And the simple fact is once it becomes smiled upon by the federal government, then it becomes more easy for other states and municipalities to enact. So it's something that we need to keep an eye on, and it's something that we need to address from a biblical point of view in order to help 
people. Don't put people further in the hole. Give them a hand and show them what love actually is and something that can actually help them. And and I'm going to put on the preacher hat for a second, Mitch. (laughs) And and that's sharing the gospel, which at its essence is freedom from bondage, not, hey, you're already in bondage. Here's another handcuff for you. And, And that's just my stance on that. There was a lot that happened this week in the Palmetto State. I hope you listened to our interview with Leah Savas earlier this week from World News, as well as Representative R.J. May talking about educational transparency. There's so much going on and more to come next week here on the Palmetto Family Matters podcast, Dave. Plus, and other things that are going across our state, you've got the races in the 1st and the 7th Congressional District where Katie Arrington received an endorsement from President Trump in a race against Nancy Mace and Russell Fry, representative out of Horry County has received one from Donald Trump in the race against Tom Rice. So national politics and 2022 elections are starting to really begin to crank up as we get into uh, this election year. Yeah, we could see the former president in in the Palmetto State within within the next week or two. Uh, the election cycle already beginning to ramp itself up. I feel like I've heard this before. It's almost like we've said the road to the White House runs through South Carolina. Wow. Yeah. Cool. I I think that actually does. (laughs) It's amazing how that works. We'll keep you updated on everything going on nationally, locally, at the state level. We'll do all we can to make sure that you are updated right here on the Palmetto Family Matters Podcast. Again, download the app, the Palmetto Family Council app, because we are in the heart of session. It is important for you to get it. Track that legislation. See what your representatives and senators are voting on and how they're voting and keep in touch with them in the ways that you see fit. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your weekend. And we'll talk to you again on Tuesday.